0: speaking of his word let's hear him speaking to us from ephesians 4:25 to 32 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another to your neighbor for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you.
1: Thanks, Cynthia. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. It's been uh, a while since I've been in the pulpit, so it's just great to be back with you teaching the Word again. Today we are going to talk about a subject I think, I hope, we can all relate to, and that is clothing, just to make sure we can all relate, can you raise your hand if you're wearing clothing today? Okay, I see some people who didn't raise your hand. You're making me really nervous, okay? (laughs) Yeah, we all wear clothing. We put it on in the morning. As they say, clothes make the man or the woman. So today, we're going to start something new. You know, it's hard sometimes for people to know that we are Christians because it's not that obvious. We blend in. We look like others, and yet God wants us to stand out. So today we're going to start something new. The elders have decided that all of us at Coal are going to wear white robes from now on, all the time. So we're all going to get robes. We're going to, you can buy them in the back at the table, 19.95 plus shipping and handling. We've got a great deal for you. And that way, everywhere you go, you know, we're going to be wearing white robes in heaven, right? So may as well start it now, and uh, you can choose your size. No. Okay, a little absurd, I get that. But it does raise the question, what is supposed to be different about us as believers? How should we stand out? How do people know that we're Christians? Clothes don't show that you're a believer. So what does? We're studying through the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, uh, we've labeled sit. Sit, walk, stand, the three sections, and sit describes all the things that God has done to change us internally. How He's predestined us. He's chosen us. He's called us. He's redeemed us. He's given us His Holy Spirit inside so the very life of God indwells us. He's given us His gifts to live out in how we love one another. He's done all of that. And yet sometimes... It's hard for people to see the reality of what's gone on inside. God has really recreated us as a whole new humanity. But Paul, in this last part, this section of the book of Ephesians, is passionate that we would truly begin to show it. That people could look at our lives and we would truly live as the new humanity. That we would live differently than the world around us that we would show the world that his kingdom has come, that the kingdom has begun already, that in us, life in Christ is real, and it has started already. So how do we do that? How do we show this new life? Well, last week, Josh taught the section just before ours today, and in the last few verses of his section, it says this. We're starting in verse 22, of Ephesians chapter 4 that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old humanity. You lay aside the old humanity and by the way the term he says there lay aside is really a term talking about clothing. Just like you take off old clothes you lay aside the old humanity and you put on the new humanity says this which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and verse 24 and put on the new humanity. And again, that word for put on, that description is like putting on new clothes. Put on the new humanity, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now at the end of the chapter, the next few verses, he gives us five articles of clothing were to put on. We're to put off the old, put on the new. Or as I would like to describe these five elements of clothing, they are five virtues. Now, virtue is an old-fashioned word, but I think it's a wonderful word for what he's saying here, that when you put on the new humanity, when you choose to live as Christ has truly made you, you let the life of Christ flow through you, that it is virtuous. Definition of virtues, the first two definitions were moral excellence and manly strength. God wants us to live with moral excellence and manly strength, or womanly strength if you prefer, but with strength. To not be caught up in the world and live like everybody else, but to live in this new way, to put on our new clothing So he gives us five practical ways that we are to do that, five examples to show us. They're not comprehensive, but they give us five examples to give us a picture of what this new humanity should really look like as we walk through the mess of life. So let's pray, and then let's look together at this passage. Lord, how we need to hear from you this morning. We admit it's so easy to live in the old humanity, to wear the old clothing and kind of wear our pajamas all day with the feet in them, the flannels, and we never take them off and put on the new clothing that you've called us to live in. So, Lord, help us today to know how to do that so that we might choose to live as the new people, the new humanity that you have created us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, five virtues, five articles of clothing. We're to put off and put on. The first one, verse 25. Put off lying and put on truth, speak truth. Put off lying, speak truth. Notice what he says. Laying aside falsehood, or falsehood just doesn't sound quite as direct as lying. Put off lying, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now some of us I know are kind of thinking, well, at least this doesn't apply to me, because I don't lie. I'm a truthful person. Really? Well, let's think about this a little bit. We live in a world where we lie to each other all the time. It's part of our culture. We exaggerate the truth a little bit to make ourselves look better than we really are. We hide the truth to protect ourselves from rejection. That's a form of lying. We lie to avoid taking the blame for things. Point the finger at other people. We don't, aren't honest about that. We lie to avoid hurting someone else. Business people lie all the time. Business people say things like, oh yeah, I'll have it for you by Wednesday, when they have no intention of having it for you by Wednesday, but they're just telling you what they think you want to hear. As one of our elders, we were studying this passage together last Monday. One of our elders said, who has spent many years in the business world, said, virtually everyone you work with will eventually lie to you. A bit cynical, but I think it's true. It's part of our world. It's part of the old humanity, right? Because we're so afraid of telling truth, so we lie to make people think we're better than we are. We tell little white lies because we think it doesn't matter. Doctors lie to their patients about how sick they are to avoid taking away hope. And it doesn't really help in the long run. My, our brother-in-law was diagnosed with, I think it was stage 4 pancreatic cancer. The doctor said, Hey, no problem, I can deal with this. I can make you better. I can't make you better than you were before you got sick, but I can make you as good. Well, that was a lie. Uh, that advanced the pancreatic cancer is terminal, period. But he lied. That's the old humanity, trying to control life for our own ends, to protect ourselves sometimes. And in the long run, it doesn't help. How about promises? Do you keep your promises? Do you speak truth? By keeping promises. Or do you speak promises and then not keep them? One of the ways that, as I observe in the Christian community, that I think we violate this a lot is we've spoken promises in our marriage vows to say, I will stick by you no matter what happens. And yet divorce runs rampant in the Christian community. We violate our vows. We lie to one another. Oh, but... Jackson, you don't understand how, I, how painful it is. God does. You spoke something. We are to speak truth. We are to be people who keep their promises. Yeah, you may need to get help, separate, get counseling if you're struggling in your marriage, but don't see your only way out as violating those marriage vows because that is essentially speaking falsehood. To one another. Why is this so bad? Why does Paul make a point of this? Well, he says this, because we're members of one another. We think a little white lie or whatever, you know, twisting the truth a little bit, only affects me. It's not true. We're members of one another and a community can only exist based on trust. And when I can't trust what you say, when you're hiding all the time, when you're not honest about your struggles maybe, or you say what you think I want to hear rather than the truth, and then suddenly it breaks down the, our ability to love one another. It breaks down the value and the strength of our community together. So Paul says, put offline. That's the old humanity. That's the way the world does it. Put on truth. Let us live honestly together, he says. Lying is like arthritis that in the members of the body, in the joints, it it creates pain, mistrust. It's hard to rebuild. As they say, trust takes years to build, but can be broken in a moment. Let's not break trust with one another. He said instead, put on truth. Now, he quotes here Zechariah chapter 8. Old Testament prophet Zechariah right at the end of the Old Testament Right before Malachi, and I think it's a wonderful passage here because it's a passage in chapter 8 that's describing the whole new humanity. It's really a, a prophesy, prophecy about us, about what God's doing when He recreates the world through the Messiah. And we get to be part of that. And in Zechariah chapter 8, He says in verse 13, It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel. So I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear, for your hands, let your hands be strong. Then verse 16, these are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace, shalom, in your gates. Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love lying. For all these things are what I hate, declares the Lord. Beautiful picture of what God wants us to be as the new humanity. He's come, therefore we're free to live in a way where we speak truth with one another. So we can live in this joy of open acceptance. I'm honest, you see what I'm like and yet you love me anyway and I love you anyway because we're honest. You see, that's the new humanity. That's the new people of God that he wants us to live out before a watching world. The second virtue is given in the next couple of verses. Put off sinful anger. Put on trust. Let's look at this. Interesting the way he puts it. He begins, be angry, yet do not sin. Do you know as Christians we're commanded to be angry? (laughs) Anger's often bad, that's true. But there is righteous anger. We should be angry over the injustices of the world, over the ways people hurt one another, the way evil sometimes wins, the destruction that evil causes, the evil in our own hearts, in my heart. We should be angry at that. God gets angry at sin. Jesus got angry at times. It's okay to be angry. We should feel that kind of anger. But the command is, be angry yet do not sin. Now, this is a quote of Psalm 4. Psalm 4 is is a wonderful psalm by David who's going through some real difficult times, some injustices he's facing, and he's angry about it, and he's talking to God about it. But then he says this to his readers, to us, Be angry and do not sin, verse 4. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Many are saying, Who will show us any good? People are saying, hey, the world's a mess, it's awful, it's terrible, there's injustice. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, shalom, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You see, terrible injustices are happening to David, but he turns it over the Lord with faith and he trusts him, and therefore he's able to lay down and sleep. I think that's what it means to be angry and don't sin. Face the injustices of the world. Be angry about it. Talk to God about it, but submit it to him and realize he's in control. He is Lord, and therefore I can lay down and sleep. I can rest. I don't have to let the sun go down on my anger, which I think is a challenge to deal with it if you can with another person, but at least deal with it in your own heart before the Lord. Let go of it. Don't hold on to anger, bitterness, resentment at what's happened. Because he says, if you do, verse 27, it will give the devil a foothold in your life. The devil's just watching us and waiting for us to hold on to resentment. And resentment is one of the places that gives him a foothold. It gives him some turf, some ground in our lives. When we hold on to resentment and bitterness and anger... It gives him a place to begin working in us because he feeds off that and creates division in the body of Christ, first in our own hearts, with other, between other people, and then it expands. A root of bitterness springs up, defiling many, we're told. So don't do it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, but don't sin. Give it to the Lord. Trust in him that he's in control. A critical, angry, resentful spirit is like, Rust, or it's like acid that just begins to eat away at the fellowship. So the old humanity is angry, holds on to it. I deserve it. These people are awful and I want to feed off that. But the new humanity says, no, I'm going to let that go and trust that God's in control. Third virtue, verse 28, put off stealing, take off that old clothing and put on Generosity. Be generous. Now, some have said, oh, well, let's just talk about new believers because, you know, Christians, we don't steal. We don't do that kind of thing. It's just, it was probably people that were converted in prison, right? And so they're being told, don't do that anymore. Well, let's think about it a little bit. Uh, Do we steal? The old humanity says, you know what? I deserve better and it's okay if I cheat a little bit on my taxes. Do we do that? Do we steal a towel in the gym or at a hotel or... Do we borrow money and not pay it back? Do we borrow something to use and damage it or break it and not replace it for the person? That's stealing, folks. Do we borrow a car and not replenish the gas? Do you use a work computer on work time for your own personal use against company policy? That's stealing. It's stealing. Do we cheat the bank on a default mortgage without going to them and working it out? Is that stealing? I think it may be. You see, the attitude tends to be of the old humanity, right? The old man, the old person in us, the flesh, is I deserve better than I'm getting. I put in a lot of work at this job, and so far, so if I steal a little bit from him, I deserve it. The world owes me. Therefore, it's okay if I take what I really deserve. Folks, that's the old humanity speaking. And he just says, put it off. That's ugly. That creates division and destruction, and that's a terrible witness. But God's new humanity is this, and I love this picture. He says, you'll labor, performing with your own hands what is good. And that's the word. They're not useful, but good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. You see, the new humanity says, I want to work hard. I want to do my best at my job so that it's good work that I'm doing and so that I will earn enough to meet my basic needs and then I'll have more to share with others so I can live a generous life. The world says, I'm going to get by with as little bit of work as I can and get as much as I can. The government owes me, everybody owes me, etc. But the new humanity says, no, I'm going to work hard. There's a wonderful theology of work in this one verse. It says, first of all, don't steal, don't cheat. Secondly, work hard at your work. Do your best work as unto the Lord. Third, do good work. Not just work hard, but do good work that both you and God can be proud of. And then finally, use your earnings to bless others who are in need. Wonderful theology right here of work and how we are to approach it. I really like the play in the book, the story of Les Miserables. Maybe you've seen it. The movie is pretty good, not quite as good as the, the play, but it's a wonderful story of Jean Valjean who... Steals a loaf of bread to try to feed some of his family. Gets thrown in jail. He spends, I think it's 18 years in prison for it. He gets out. He's a bitter, angry man. But he runs into a priest who shows him incredible grace. And it changes his life. And as the story goes on, he spends the rest of his life becoming a successful businessman so that he can use what he earns to bless others. That's a picture, folks, of the new humanity because we've been touched by grace to want to pour that out to others, to live generously. Generosity allows the new humanity to grow healthy and strong and allows Christ to be seen in how we bless one another. Don't steal, he says. That's old. Instead, put on the new humanity. Fourth virtue, fourth item of clothing to put off and put on Put off rotten words. Instead, speak grace. Put off rotten words. Instead, speak grace. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word. The word is really rotten. <laughs> it's used every place else in Scripture of either rotten fruit, you know, moldy and yucky and it's just blah, or rotten fish. Now just, Picture this for a moment. If you need to close your eyes, do that. And picture you're talking to someone and out of their mouth is coming rotten fruit that just splatters on you. And a smelly, gross, rotten fish that just goes and slides down your shirt. Gross, huh? That's the picture Paul's trying to get here. Don't let any rotten word come out of your mouth. Smelly, putrid, corruption, because it spreads. It's ugly. These are words that are critical, slanderous, putting others down, words that are full of talking behind others' backs, feeding other people's bitterness, telling gross sexual or coarse or racist jokes that are slimy and wrong, any kind of word that just does harm. That's the old humanity. It's yucky. And the trouble is, when it comes out of your mouth, it's really hard to clean up, isn't it? <laughs> rotten fruit, rotten fish. I mean, it gets on everything, and it's smelly, and it's just, ugh. And you know what I'm talking about. Words have come out of your mouth, and you went, oh, no. I wish I hadn't said that. I was at a family reunion, and we were gathering around talking, having fun, and I kind of came out of my mouth this cor- sort of, Joke that just was not good in itself. It wasn't that good, but then I realized sitting right there was my niece who had spent a couple of rounds in rehab, and it, it, it just, what I said related to her in a very, very, very negative way. And I tried to clean it up. When I realized, as soon as I said it, I told her I was sorry, and we kind of talked it out. But, you know, it just, it just sits there. It's putrid. It's ugly. It's not nice. So Paul says, put that stuff off. Rotten words, just, ugh, it's bad. Instead, listen to the hearts of others. Listen for their needs, he says, and give words that build up. Give words of grace that offer grace to those who hear. This speaks to the power of words to do amazing things. They're powerful. They're powerful. Jeannie was uh, taking care of her mom in January. She was there three weeks while her mom was dying, and they were gathered around the bed for those weeks, just watching and spending time as a family. And uh, Jeannie always has kind of just sort of wondered in the back of her mind whether she was really wanted. She's the fifth of five kids. She kind of was the tag-along. Her Sister 17 years older than she is, and just kind of sat in the back of her mind. And while they were there, they were telling family stories. And her brother said, I just want to tell you how, as he was telling the story, he was telling how delighted he remembered their mom was when she got pregnant with Jeannie. And what a joy it was, and how thrilled she was when she was born. And it just went on and on. And those became words of grace and life to my wife. met with a woman who came to me and she was utterly depressed, shut down. She was pretty much non-functional as a woman. She had found out her husband had had multiple affairs and they'd been in ministry together. And she was so discouraged and depressed she'd been working as a teacher and she had lost her job. She would lost her job, her family, her house, couldn't work. She was ready to give up totally on life. Somehow she heard my name, she came in and talked to me. What do you say to somebody like that? How do you bring words of grace in life? Well, God led me to tell tell her at that point, Listen, God has not given up on you. You can't see his plan, but he has a plan for you. And he's working that out. I believe you will find God's grace in your life. And I believe you will teach again. Now, I don't usually say words that are kind of prophetic, but God just led me to say it. Recently, I got an email from her and this is a few years later. She's been teaching, not only teaching, but she created an educational program that's now spread throughout the state of Idaho that everybody's using. It's been picked up nationwide. She is now doing some adjunct teaching at a Christian college in the state of Washington, and she recently published a book. And in her email, she talked to me, and she said, When I was down, your words gave me hope when I had no hope. Now, I'm not saying that to say how great I am. It's, It's the Spirit in us, and you have the same Spirit. And if you will just listen to the Spirit and to the person you're talking to, God will give you words of grace that can edify and bring life. So lay off speaking rotten words, he says, and let's speak words that give grace. Why is this so important? Verse 30, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God has put His Holy Spirit in you when you were saved. And that Holy Spirit sealed you for the day of redemption. One day you will be Christ-like when you see Him face to face. But in the meantime, the Spirit in you is prompting you constantly to put on the new humanity. Put off the old. That's the ugly. Put on the new. And when we choose to live in the old humanity, it grieves the Holy Spirit in us. He so longs for us to be what God has created us to be, this new life, this new humanity. So Paul says, don't do it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit in you that is prompting you to speak words of grace. The last one, virtue number five. The last article of clothing Paul mentions here is put off meanness, is my summary. Instead, be kind. Let's talk about this. The old humanity. When we get hurt, when someone does something mean to us, and somebody hurts us, rottenness comes out of their mouth, it does us harm. The old humanity says, I'm going to hang on to this. Notice these words. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, shouting, slander be put away from you. That's the old humanity, right? You've hurt me, therefore I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to talk behind your back. I'm going to slander you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to hold on to this anger. Let it seethe within me because you hurt me. That's the old humanity. And he says... Don't let this be part of your community life together. Don't let it be part of who we are. Don't let it be part of who you are. Put those things off. That just destroys relationships. That destroys our fellowship when we hold on to bitterness and anger. But notice what this assumes. This assumes we will hurt each other. It's true. We're all in process. We all say things we shouldn't. But how do we deal with it? Do we hold on with bitterness or do we put on the new humanity? Verse 32, Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. I like that word. The Greek word tender-hearted is you <laughs> The word splankna means literally guts. It's your guts. You on the front says good good guts, (laughs) tender-hearted. In other words, let yourself feel compassion for the person who hurt you. Move towards caring for them. Let go of the bitterness. Put that off and begin to have compassion on someone else who's obviously struggling. They may not be doing well. They may have hurt you, but be tender-hearted towards them. Have good guts (laughs) towards them. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, the new humanity in you, the spirit in you will always prompt you to forgive. The old humanity, hang on to it. Don't let go. It feels powerful. It's empowering when you can hold on to the anger. But he says, no, let it go. That's the old man. The new humanity looks at Christ and says, he forgave me. Therefore, I will forgive you. Uh, The way I like to think of it is, God has forgiven me an entire ocean of sin. All my sins, past, present, future. And this person may have sinned against me very, very severely. But in comparison to what I've been forgiven in Christ, it's like a bucket. Now who am I to hold on to a bucket of bitterness for what this person did to me when God has forgiven an ocean of sin? me. So he says, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the new humanity. That brings unity in the midst of a struggling community that's just learning to love each other in the midst of our failure and learning to forgive and bring grace and kindness and goodness into our relationships with each other. It's one of the greatest signs of Christ in us, I think, is that we are a forgiving community. I, Josh, last week, used the example of the Amish community where uh, the man came into the schoolroom, killed five of the girls, and you know, I, I just can't come up with a better example, so I'm repeating it, <laughs> that publicly before the world they forgave, but they also, behind the scenes, sought to love this man and his family and come alongside and care for them and, in all kinds of ways. That is the new humanity at work. May we be people who can forgive in that way. We can't do it in ourselves, but it's the life of Christ in us. Being able to forgive and let it go when others hurt us. And it shows the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. He's forgiven me, now I can forgive you. That is the new humanity, the kingdom of God. God is real wonderful. God's done amazing things for us as we've been studying through the book of Ephesians. And he's truly made us new on the inside. But now Paul is saying, okay, it's time to let it show on the outside. Not by what you wear, literally, but by what you put off and what you put on and live out as the new people of God who reveal to the world that the kingdom has come, that Jesus is real. Now, it's not easy, right? We can't do it in ourselves, but we have his life in us. That's the new covenant. He's forgiven us, and if if you're feeling guilty because you've been living in the old humanity too much, his word to you is, I died for that. I've forgiven you. Come to me for forgiveness. Don't wallow in your sin. Come to me and enjoy my cleansing life in you. And then turn and depend on me. Lord, I'm sorry. I've been living in the old humanity. Help me to turn. Let go of bitterness. Let go of these things and begin to live in your strength, in your life. Live through me. Love through me, Lord. And that's a prayer. He will answer. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, your gift of the Spirit is an amazing thing in us. By faith we thank you. Help us by faith to live as citizens of your new kingdom, this new humanity, to put off the old, let it go, so that we might be your newly redeemed people in the midst of a dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.